This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. It's so good to be with you all this morning. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Stephen McCaslin. I am our family minister here at Austin Life. Uh, So currently, a good bit of our members and half of our staff is in Hawaii right now. And you think like, what was your church vacation? Like, are you like too much of a freshman to like get invited on that? Like, but no, one, some, a few of our members are getting married and with family in Hawaii, they had a family wedding with just a close-knit group. Um, so I am uh, preaching this morning instead of Corey. We're gonna start off right off the gate with our scripture. Um, so we are gonna be in Mark 12, if you wanna work your way there now. Um, and I'm gonna give you all just a minute to flip there. Uh, and while you are, um, I will add to, uh, if you're in Hawaii and you are up at 6 a.m. this morning uh, with a watch party, uh, welcome as well. Or if you're just joining online or you're listening to the podcast on the flight home, we're, we're, we're so glad you're here. And I'm really excited. Uh, God showed me some neat things just studying his word here in Mark 12. Um, so I'm excited for what he's shown me that he can uh, continue to show us. Yeah. So um, I, guess, I guess you've had enough time to flip there. So Let's read it. Um, It's going to be in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. It's a short reading today. It says this, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, This poor widow was put more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she has to live on. Let's pray real quick going into our service today. God, thank you for your word. Um, Thinking, you know, when we were praying earlier about things we're grateful for. Um, that you are a God who doesn't leave us like mysteriously wondering what you uh, desire for us or, or, or what you do for us or what you would like for us to do for you, God, but God, that you spoke uh, to your people and that through those people, you gave us your word. Um, God, it's so special. Um, so we're grateful for that this morning and we just pray that the truth of your word uh, just come alive in us this morning as we study it together. Amen. Awesome. Well, I was sharing a little bit about myself just a minute ago. Um, in addition to that, uh, I grew up, uh, well, not when I grew up, when I was in college, uh, I worked at a restaurant. It was actually pretty fun. One of my friends that I made through that restaurant, we went uh, to the Pacific Northwest last week. We had a little family vacation with our babies. It was a good little time. Um, but being in college and working in a restaurant meant that a lot of times money was kind of tight. Um, And I'm going to share you a quick specific story I remember. Uh, So it was one of those, like, if you ever watched The Office, there was that one day where all, like, three different things were due at the same time, and, like, Michael just wouldn't do any of it, and he procrastinated forever to get things done. Well, throughout college, those times would sometimes come up throughout the month, and it was like, okay, both my rent and my college payment and groceries and everything all had to come on one day. So there was one specific day. My restaurant was four miles from my rent house. I pulled up to an HEB with nothing in my bank account 
and nothing but spare change loosely throughout my truck. Because if you're anything like me, I hate, especially like if you have a wallet, putting change in a wallet's the worst because then it gets all thick and it hurts to sit on. And it's not worth it. So I just would kind of like, if I go through, you know, Taco Bell drive through and I pay in cash, just toss the change and, you know, the ashtray or something in the truck. And um, so I get to this gas station with a needle that didn't move when I started my truck, no money in my account and nothing but loose change. And I can remember going and gathering it up and I had a dollar and 37 cents. I will always remember this amount because it was a painful thing for me. And at this HEB, whenever you pay in cash, there's like a little station where you can like buy snacks or like sodas or whatever and you can pay for your gas. So it's got this like little plexiglass or maybe it's fancy enough, it's bulletproof, I don't know. They got this little glass guarding you from the cashier and then they slide this metal tray out so you can put your money in and then they pull it back in and then give you a receipt, right? And I can still remember her looking at me and sliding that metal tray out. And then even though it was just one cashier and three people pumping gas, I literally felt so ashamed getting my chains and then she pulls it back in and she's like, it's like mostly like dimes and pennies too. She's like counting out. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I keep apologizing. She's like, no, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. But I just felt so ashamed that like I had no gas in my tank and I was literally dumping dimes and pennies into a tray just so I could get at what that point was like a half a gallon of gas. Mind you, my truck gets like 12 to the gallon if I'm lucky, 12 miles to the gallon. So I'm like, really hope this gets me to the restaurant. Like, I can always have, like, at the time, me and my wife, Sarah, were dating. She can come pick me up afterwards, but I, I've got to get to work. And I felt so ashamed. And although I know she didn't care, and although I know the three people pumping gas had a lot better things to do than hear the wrangling of change in a little metal drawer, knowing that that's how I was paying for my gas, I felt so ashamed. And in our story, something similar happens here. I didn't open this up beforehand whenever y'all were flipping there. That was the other thing I didn't do. Um, something similar happens with uh, the offerings. So I want to help us get a little bit of the setting so we can understand it better. So we've been going through the book of Mark for the better part of the past year. And in Mark, uh, specifically where we've been the past couple of weeks, chapter 11, verses 27, all the way through the end of our reading today, is one encounter of Jesus in the temple. So although we've split this up over, I think, five weeks of reading and studying and learning, because there's a whole lot to be learned here, it's, it's one maybe couple hour span where Jesus enters the temple. And in this uh, interaction, we see uh, mainly what happens is he is answering the questions and like problem pokings of a few groups of people. This including the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. Now, I will add, I think they were, those people were probably doing a pretty good job. So if you will, we've got a picture of what the temple would have looked like. I'm gonna look this way because it's gonna be over here. Um, historians all have it slightly different and I know it's kind of hard to see the fine details. Um, but this is about what the temple would have looked like. So here at the bottom of the screen, right there, um, if you see, there's something called the, uh, I believe it's the chamber of the court of the women. Now, this does not mean that only women were allowed to hang out in that court. But what it meant is because past that, you have things such as sacrifices and other things that the priests um, took care of, since the women couldn't be priests, this court was as far as the women could go in the temple. 
So other places uh, throughout the New Testament, you'll see it called the treasury. Some you'll see it called the court of the women. That's where this whole story would have taken place. From chapter 11, uh, verses 27, all the way down to 1244 happens in this court of the women. Now, if someone walked into our church on a Sunday morning and just started teaching things, I would really hope that some of our community group leaders and maybe some of our staff would be like, hey, we want to kind of question you to make sure that you're not just babbling random stuff in the back. So although we know the hearts of the uh, Pharisees and chief priests and that at this point in Jesus' ministry, they did not like him and that they were doing this out of selfishness, I hope that if someone came to our church and just started teaching, we'd be like, hey, let's kind of vet you and make sure uh, that you're good. So that's what they do. And they come to him with all sorts of questions and riddles and problems. And we see that even them realize, even they realize that Jesus answers them all so well. So he answers these few specific questions. Um, and then we get to our story today. So what would have happened? Uh, I'm actually going to look at this one. Nope, that makes it way too confusing for our people online. Uh, in our court of the women, he likely would have entered through the outer gates around the bottom or the sides. Um, and then as soon as he walked in, the uh, scribes, Pharisees, Herodians, whoever it would have been, would have been questioning him. And you can see there's sort of this stairwell uh, up in the middle. That's where people would have taught whenever they were teaching to people in the temple. So likely Jesus would have made his way there. Um, and, and begun teaching and a answering questions, especially whenever he teaches to everyone and warns them of the, uh, the scribes and says, be careful of them um, because uh, ones that are boastful and all that sort of stuff because they're the devourers of widows' houses. And we learned last week just to be mindful uh, of our leaders and who we have people pouring into us. Um, so that's a little bit of, of the backstory of kind of what's happening. And, and in our scripture in verse 41, it talks about how he sits down opposite of the treasury. So while he was on that stage, he gets done teaching, warning of the, of the scribes, and then he just kind of went somewhere else in the court and sat down. Um, can you go to the next picture for us? Excuse me. So when it talks about the treasury, he sits down opposite of the treasury. This is something many of you might be familiar with, maybe you're not, but the treasury are these like, I didn't do brass, and French horn-esque <laughs> brass things sticking out from the wall. And you can see they even have a little box there, which makes sense. So you'd like put your tie then, and then it would go into the little safe box. Now the thing about it, and the reason that they were brass, and from reading our story, you might be able to gather, is whenever people gave, you could hear how much money they were giving to the church. Like paper currency wasn't really a thing. So they'd come with their coins. And while you were in this court, anyone in there would hear either like, because, oh, well, that person's, they're really giving to the church. Or you'd hear, oh, okay, I guess they're helping out a little bit. But these brass uh, little French horn-esque things would have let everyone in the court hear uh, what you gave. Uh, so you, you can go and pull that, that, uh, that picture off. Um, everybody cool with cringing this morning? Cool with me on cringing? All I know is like baseball players have walk-up music. And I felt like my, my, my walk-up music for this sermon should have been you know, like, my money don't jingle jingle. It folds. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. Okay. That, I, had to, I had to do it. I just cringed. No, it's good. Um, so, but the thing is, is, is they wanted their money to jingle jingle. Because the more their money jingled in their pocket and jingled down the treasury, people were like, oh, A, they're wealthy, and B, they really care about the church. 
Like they're just giving money and money and money, right? And that may, that may sound kind of strange to us, right? Like whenever we end our service, we normally say, like, hey, you can give online. If not, one of our uh, people will be at the back at that little box thing you see over there and you can you know, put your check or whatever in there. But are we ever like, all right, and as soon as service ends, you know, we've got our bass drum in there. If you can just throw your cash in the opening in front of the bass drum, that would probably make you uncomfortable, right? Like, why why are you making me, that seems kind of ridiculous. But we're not too far removed from this. I want to tell you one story, and I'm not going to tell you the town name uh, because I don't want to deface the church or anything like that uh, specifically, but in 2017, when I was with my last church in West Texas, and uh, Hurricane Harvey hit, 2017, right? Yeah. Uh, we went and did relief in one of the towns, and in the small Baptist church, I noticed they had their uh, Sunday school class and how much money they had given the week prior, and I guess the person who went to that church overheard me kind of talking with some of our church members uh, about that and how it looked strange, and he said, I, like, I know it seems different. It's just kind of helped keep tallies. There is a church in town, though, that up until the year prior, so in 2016, their elders and deacons stood at the front with a tithe. 2016, in the state of Texas, right? So not too far removed. And they knew how much money everybody made. And if you gave your tithe, and they felt like it wasn't enough, they would slap your wrist in front of everybody and wait until you gave some more. And then if that was good enough, they would just kind of nod, you'd go back to your seat. Or if it wasn't, They'd slap your wrist again in front of the entire church. So that's even different than this. At least it was like, it was, it was like a French horn that if you didn't give a lot, people were just like, oh, that's kind of, you know, Jerry didn't give much money. But if, if in this scenario, if you didn't give it, they like penalized you in front of the church. And that would have been super humiliating. And you may be going, wow, that's crazy. I still can't imagine that. But I want to ask a question. Raise of hands. Did anybody go to something called a vacation Bible school growing up? A VBS? Okay, actually, the majority of the room. That's super cool. Is this ringing a bell for anybody yet? Anybody going like, I think I know where he's going with this? Can you put that next slide up for me? Anybody tell me what that is? Yeah, what is it, Laura? What, What were they doing here? Boys versus girl challenge. What went into the tubs on a boys versus girl challenge? Coins. So if you're not familiar, I would imagine, raise your hand if this was at your VBS that you did growing up. Oh, not many. Awesome. (laughs) I guess I'm just a little bit older than most of y'all because at every VBS I ever went to at four separate churches, uh, five including another one uh, whenever I was an adult that that I interacted with, this was up there. And what that did is at the end of every day, each, each little like school or whatever you'd call them would go with coins and they'd put it in the bucket. And at the end of the week, whichever bucket was heavier, right, as it tilted, would get like an ice cream cone on their way out or something like, oh, yay, hooray, girls won. Everybody, all the girls get, you know, a popsicle on their way out the door. And although not many of you raise your hands, if you talk to people probably <laughs> in their 30s, <laughs> like, like I'm getting close to, who went to a VBS, that number would be much, much, much higher. And, and I think there were a lot of really good willing churches. You can pull that down, thanks. Also, that was a really terrible and generic photo, but it was the only one I could find that didn't have like kids' faces or a big church name on it. So I, like, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to call people out. Um, but it was, it was super common, good willing churches that 
that did, did this. I mean, there was like, from a young age, I personally, without, and I, and I know this carried over into my adulthood, taught me how much you give matters. Because if you were in this scenario, the few people who were, I was the kid who didn't bring a lot of money. And in my class, there was always a Johnny. You know Johnny. What, what would you do? If it was by weight of coins, what would you do the day before VBS? You would go to the bank with $5 and say, I need 500 pennies. Because you would win. So Johnny in my class, there was always that kid. He, every day he'd come with just like his own bucket of pennies. And as soon as he dumped it in, all the boys would cheer. We love you, Johnny. You're the best. And then I'd walk up behind him and I'd be like, well, here's three quarters. And it's just kind of silent. And then whenever then girls came up and they did the same thing and it tipped over, they'd be like, man, Stephen, you're the reason we lost. You should bring more. Like, you're letting us down, man. Tomorrow, you've you got to go to the bank. Tomorrow, you've got to bring more money. This is not fair. We're not losing because of you. And it was just like so, so common in, in churches that I grew up with. And that type of church, right? So we're not too far removed from this. And I know a lot of people from Goodwilling Churches that weren't meaning to do this, that taught us what matters is the quantity you give. And if you don't, then your friends are gonna be let down. And what it put in my head is, well, God's gonna be let down. God wants me to bring 500 pennies so that my team could win. But it seems like Jesus teaches us something just a bit different here in our scripture. So we're gonna go through this, it's pretty short, uh, but it contains a whole lot of goodness. So we're going to go through this verse by verse um, here at the beginning. And we're going to look at two separate groups. I call verse 41 uh, the many offerings of much gold. Verse 41 says, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering boxes. Many rich people put in large sums. Right, so remember, these are metal tubes that are just resounding the clanking of coins. Jesus gets done with his teachings, and he just kind of sits down and watches people give. And I remember growing up, I always thought that, like, this is my own misconception. This is what the church did to me. That whenever Jesus, in verse 43, which we'll get to, talks about them, the, the people who gave a lot, I thought he was, like, condemning them. But we get, no, we get no indication that what they did was wrong or what they did was selfish. Now, the reason these things were metal is so that people could be, you know, proud of what they did and there were selfishness. But in this scenario, we don't get that that's why it's happening. Because if we remember that this is all one setting, we know that in chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, they ask him about paying taxes, and Jesus says what in that answer? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what God's. Yeah, and then, they, and then he answers a few other questions and then he goes, be careful of false teachings and goes and sits down. So it's possible these rich people, right? Like if, if you've got, let's say you've got $400,000 as your like personal wealth. One, I can't fathom that. Two, you probably don't carry $400,000 on you, right? You might got like two grand of, of cash in your pocket, but I feel like most people, you don't even have that. You're just gonna have your card. These people would have had a lot of money, and although they may not have kept it like in a USAA bank, they kept it other places, and they would have had some money on them. So it's possible these rich people, many of them, 
putting in large sums or taking everything they had on their waist. They're like, wow, like, we should give to God what's God's. Like, let's do that. So they're just like, Jesus gets done teaching and they're moved. And they could just be giving to the church. Jesus never says anything wrong about this group of people. And I think that's important um, So for all of us to know so you maybe don't end up in a trap like I grew up potentially thinking. So if there's nothing wrong with them, let's, let's look at the second offering that's more focused uh, by Jesus. In verse 42 says this, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. So I want to help y'all with some math so we can understand what this money means. So it says two small copper coins. These coins would have been called lepta or mites. And they make up one sixty-fourth of a denarii. Denarii, denarius, is it denarii? Anybody out there? It's a denarii. It makes up one sixty-fourth of that. And this denarii is one day's wage, okay? So that means if she had two of them, she had one thirty-second of a day's wage. So to help put this in our terms, uh, I kind of broke it down. Let's pretend they worked eight-hour days like a standard is. I don't know if you can even say that anymore. A standard like American job is. This would be roughly 15 minutes worth of income. Right, and we know that minimum wage is still 725, 725, but I'm gonna be generous and I'm gonna do $15 an hour because there's a lot of places uh, that you can go work where you can make $15 an hour right now just because of inflation. Like that's kind of like the standard for a lot of like restaurants or fast food places. So let's, let's just go off of $15 an hour. At that rate, like g- giving all of the benefit of the doubt today, it'd be like $3.75. Now the rich people, they probably had money at home. Did it, what did it say about this widow though? Verse 42, it says she came and put in two small coins which make a penny and then whenever Jesus is talking about her it says that she contributed all that she had to live on so at best this woman would have had three dollars and seventy five cents worth of income that's all she had now in reality a more like accurate uh, trend what she actually had of money uh, what's, what's the word we exchange exchange of currency would have been about a penny. This is why it says that in our scripture. It would have been roughly one penny's worth of money, which is like crazy to think. So it says she came with, at best, $3.75 to her entire name. And she walked up and dropped those two coins into the offering box. Is anybody, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands here, but have you ever been in a scenario like that? Because I read this, and in my mind, I can relate. The story I shared with y'all before, I had a dollar and 37 cents, and it's like, I've got to have gas. I hope this gets me there. But even then, in reality, I can't relate to that. See, a widow wouldn't have had land or a job, and she likely would have just been begging on the streets, asking, and she would have, someone out of pity would have been like, yeah, here's a 64th of my daily wage. Here's just a here's a nothing for you. And she probably got two of those, right? And gave it to the church. But I, I was in college at a university. I was driving to my job in my vehicle as a male. And it's like, so like I, I had a job, I had 
a, a rent home that I lived in. I was going to university, right? This woman didn't have that. But can any of y'all like remember maybe a time where stuff was tight? Maybe for some of you it was in college. Maybe for some of you it's when you were kids, uh, you know, with your family or, or whatever it be. And if we put ourselves into that shoe, into her shoe, I think a lot of times we can remember what it must have felt like to have nothing. And then what it must have felt like with all those people who were listening to Jesus. And they're over there, many rich people, one after another. And then she walks up, ting, ting, and walks away. I remember the shame I felt even when no one could hear and no one cared dumping change in that metal counter at that H-E-B gas station. But here, the way this was set up, everyone was listening. And there must have been a lot of shame on her. And like I said, I can remember too at VBS, right? Whenever I walked up with my like quarter or two and put it in there and it didn't move and my classmate like, oh, come on. Well, they called me Tyler. That's what I went, come on, Tyler. You're letting us down. You gotta do better than that. I just felt so much shame. And like I, what I was doing wasn't beneficial for anything. $1.37 was not beneficial for my gas tank and the couple of quarters of VBS was not beneficial for my friends or for God. It was just, this is all I have, whatever, fine. Like I said, we've read through the scripture and it seems that Jesus is more interested in her offering. He's not talking bad about the other's offering, but he's more interested in hers. So let's read these last two verses, 43 and 44 together. It says, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. So again, Jesus is not upset with the, the rich people's offerings. He doesn't even really give a lot of attention to it. He's just like, yeah, they, they, they gave, that's great. But hers is so much greater. See, Jesus realizes the woman's desperate desire for surrender to him. Something really cool is said in this verse that, uh, that I don't think we fully get the image of until we see the other, the other time this phrase is used. Um, so you can flip over to Luke 8 if you, if you have your Bible on you or uh, on your phone, you can go over to Luke 8. We would have gone through this in Mark 5, which at this point now would have been a handful of months ago. Um, but I want us to look at eight because it's uh, in his gospel, he uses um, specifically this exact same phrase when, retel when retelling the story as we see here at the end. So in Luke chapter eight, verses 43 through 48, we get a story of a woman being healed by Jesus. So in verse 43 of Luke 8, we start off, it says, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you, pressing in on you. Jesus said, someone touched me, 
for I perceive that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she, had not, that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We know this is a story of a woman who's desperate. And I'm... I want to spend just a brief moment of Levitical law, so bear with me. Because whenever, yeah, Jared's excited in the back. Uh, my wife and I are, are, are trying a bi- are, are doing a Bible in a year reading plan. And I remember when we went through Leviticus, specifically there were some of these laws that she was like, I just don't get this. And one of the laws is that whenever a, a, a woman is menstruating, that from the time that period ends, they are unclean for seven days. And she was like, that's not fair. That's just, that's a part of our life. Like, why do I have to be unclean because of this? This doesn't make any sense. And, and uh, I recently heard on a podcast I listened to, it was a really good breakdown uh, of Leviticus. It kind of helped me uh, understand a little bit more. Leviticus has laws for sin and then laws for ceremonial cleanliness. Now these laws for sin, their punishment is pretty intense. It's always either being kicked out of the people of Israel or death. Those are the two punishments for those. But then there's a section on uncleanliness. And the punishment for those things are, usually it's either unclean, uh, you'll, you'll be unclean until the evening, or you'll be unclean for a short period of time. And these things are never bad things. One of them is even if you touch uh, the dead remains of a person, you are unclean until the evening, Right? So if, we're, if we look at Leviticus and the laws and we're like, but how, why are these things bad? If, if your family member passes away and you need to transport them to be buried, you are unclean. So is, is moving a, a deceased family member or friend, is that a sin? Are you wrong for doing that? Absolutely not. But what's important to remember specifically in the book of Leviticus is it's all about uh, laws for the people as well as laws for the priests. And with the, the Israelites constantly straying away from God and straying away from God and straying away from God, the sacrifices had to be pure and the people doing the sacrifices needed to be ritualistically clean. So there's, there's a long list of laws that tell us that in order to do these sacrifices, you must be clean. So for any Israelite who has these things that make them unclean, just you're unclean till the evening and don't touch people. Because if you touch people, then they become unclean. And if everyone has these uncleanliness and you touch everyone, eventually someone's going to touch a priest who then goes and performs a sacrifice, and then that's bad. Because it's not holy and it's not clean. So this woman, if she had had this discharge of blood for 12 years, would have had very, very little to no human interaction for 12 years. So this law, that was not at all made to isolate or separate or discriminate someone, but just made to make sure that the sacrifices are pure for her sake, isolated her, separated her. And, and, and it would become discriminatory based off of her needs and what she was going through. So when we look at this story, we see a woman, not that's just like been annoyed by this medical condition, that has been isolated, separated, and desolate for over a decade. This woman is desperate. It says that she had spent all that she had on doctors and physicians. 
So she had gone left and right. I need to go to this doctor and try this uh, medicine and that medicine didn't work. And then I need to have this procedure and this procedure didn't work. And she was left with zero dollars to her account. She had nothing to rename. She was desperate. And in her desperate, she had heard of Jesus and heard of his miracle work and power and she believed it. And that's where she fought through a crowd, which then made every person unclean she was touching, getting through. She was willing to risk this ceremony uncleanliness because she believed in Jesus. She was even willing to risk making Jesus ceremonial unclean, touched his garment. And in this ceremonial spreading of uncleanliness, Jesus was not upset. Not at all. But instead, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. You can go in peace now. You're, you're, You're no longer unclean. He heals her. So this phrase, when it's talking about physicians, verse 43, spent all of her living. That same phrase in the Greek is what we get here in Mark 12 regarding the woman's offering. But she, out of her poverty, had put in everything she had all to live on. And I think, I believe that's, what, I believe that's one thing God really wants us to see from the scripture, right? So he goes through and he's answering all these questions from Pharisees and they're trying to prove to him, you know, like, how are you, who do you say? Are you the son of God? Are you this? Uh, What's the greatest commandment? What's the best? What's the strongest? What's the best thing? And and Jesus' response after seeing all this, he pulls the disciples aside on this offering. And he ultimately says this about our, our return offering to him. Is that, out of her poverty, she put everything she had to live on. So in Luke 8, we get a story of a woman who is desperate, just wants to be healed, left with no money, nothing but faith. And when she came to Jesus, he didn't go, no, 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 you need to go back, you need to try to pick up a job and then pay me my $200 doctor fee. No, he says, your faith is all it takes. And then we get this story here uh, in the treasury where the woman comes just with two little coins worth at best $3.75. I don't know about you, but if I had $3.75 in my pocket, I wouldn't put it in there. Honestly, because it's, it wouldn't, like in my mind, it's not worth it. It's not gonna help anything. Like it's, it's literally useless. But Jesus says, no, that, that's greater than any offering of any rich person giving some. And maybe, maybe you need to hear that today. I was encouraged hearing this because I can remember in my childhood thinking I'm, I'm not, not good enough. I, I can't offer what Johnny has to offer. Everybody loves Johnny. I'm not good. Maybe some of you are out here thinking, man, I, I can't preach like Corey does. Corey just delivers such a good me- like message. I can't, I can't teach people the word. Man, Charlie's such a great singer. Like I, I enjoy singing, but like I can't, can't serve God in that. I'm not as good as them. You know, I mean, geez, like, Donna was so kind at the welcome table. Like, I love people, but I can't, I can't welcome people like she does. She's just, she's so great. Maybe you look at other people. You're in, the, you're in the court of the women, and you're looking at everyone else with their giving, and you're like, I just, I can't do that. I'm sure God, I'm, I'm not even gonna bother. God probably wouldn't even, like, be that impressed because all these other people are doing so much. But I wanna encourage you today that if, if, if whatever it is in your life, if it's in your finances or if it's in your time, that you give to God, or if it's in your gifts you give to God. He doesn't care about the quantity. He doesn't care about the jingling in the treasury. He doesn't care about the sermons after sermons after sermons or the mission trips after mission trips after mission trips. 
He cares about what you have. He just wants it. He saw that widow and he saw her desperate desire to surrender all that she had to him. And Luke 8, this woman who was, who was sick, she was just, I, I want to be healed. I want to be healed. I want to be healed. And this woman, her desire wasn't even for herself. She just, after hearing the teachings of Jesus in that temple goes, this, this $3 is way better in the hands of God than in his mind. I, I entrust him to it. I, 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 I was begging in the streets for it anyway. I didn't earn it. Like, this is God. This is amazing. And she gave it over to him in joy and celebration and excitement for what God could do with that. So as our band comes back up uh, to prepare to lead us in worship, uh, I want us just to have a minute of reflection. So it's not an obligatory, it took me a second to figure that out, or even this over-exuberant giving that Jesus wants from us. But when we find a desperate desire to surrender all that we have to him, we contribute more than we ever could with just our stuff. Jesus wants your desire today for full surrender to him, trusting him, that his, his uh, payback on that and, and his, what he does through whatever gift or talent or whatever it is that you have is greater than you could do. In John chapter six, we get the story of Jesus feeding thousands and thousands of people. There's two, there's two different uh, stories where Jesus feeds the thousands, but in this one specifically, when the disciples go out looking for food, it says that one young boy came with some fish and some bread. And if I were that little boy with a couple fish, I would have felt like that was a pretty useless offering. But Jesus took those couple fish and fed thousands off of very little to nothing. So if you today, if you have, I, I have two questions that I want you to just kind of reflect on today before we continue on in worship. That is, what are your fish and bread that you have surrendered to God? I think those are exciting. Yeah. So what are your fish and bread that you have to surrender to God? And two, I just, I want to encourage you to pray for a heart that has a desperate desire to surrender those things to him. Pray for a heart that, that, that can see the miracles of Jesus and the wonders of his works. So today, uh, I, just, I just want to pray to close this out for that for you guys. Just with that encouragement. Jesus doesn't expect a lot of things or a lot of jingle jingles of cash. He just, he just wants you. He wants what you have in authenticity. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.